can go ahead and take your seats. Well, it's wonderful to be here with all of you this morning at Valley Point. And today we get to hang out in the Old Testament of Scripture. And we're going to pick up actually when God begins to form his relationship with Abraham, Father Abraham, who would his descendants would become the nation of Israel. Now this talk does come at a very unique time. As Pastor Eric mentioned before, there is great unrest, great conflict in Israel right now. And let us continue to pray for those affected, in particular for those affected by the human suffering of innocent civilians who have been a part of the attacks that have gone on. So may the Lord continue to give wisdom to the leaders so that they can best provide protection uh, for the people there. But it was a couple of years ago that I had the opportunity to visit the Holy Land. And so I went with a group and we saw many spectacular sights, very inspirational and it really helped enrich my time in scripture to be able to visualize and to be able to understand a little bit more of the landscape of where all of this would be occurring as I would be reading. And one of the things that stuck out to me in particular was the amount of times that God would use specific areas or even specific cities to carry out his purposes throughout history. And I, I began to be able to better piece together kind of the puzzles, the different stories, the different episodes that you see within scripture and you hear cities mentioned, but you begin to realize the layers and layers of history that's being placed on top of each other, oftentimes in one location. So many things are happening in the same location, just hundreds of years apart. This would be true of one ancient city that I was able to tour, the city of Shechem. Now, this particular city is mentioned several times in Scripture. So I wanted to, to kind of bring back some of what I learned on this trip because I think it'll help with just some general knowledge and then some biblical literacy, because it really helped me to understand what, what's happening and where some of these events are occurring throughout Scripture. And so, as I mentioned before, we pick up and we meet Abraham as God has been speaking to him. And God has been telling him about this covenant that he is going to make with Abraham so that it will be through Abraham and his descendants that God will make a chosen nation. But then it's through this nation that he would bless the entire world. So this, this is really big stuff here. God makes this covenant with Abraham. When we, when we meet him, he's living in a city called Ur. This is where Abraham grew up. This is where he was when we meet him. And God says, I want you and your family to leave Ur, your home city. And I'm going to lead you to a land that I have set aside for you. And he obeys. 
his whole family obeys, and they begin to follow the leading of the Lord, not knowing where they were actually going. And so I have a couple of visual aids that I'm going to use throughout this morning, but here's the first one that I want to show to you. This kind of demonstrates where Abraham would have lived when we meet him down in the lower right. It's this letter A, the city of Ur. This would be modern-day Iraq. And so when they leave Ur, they head north. They, they can't go directly west. There's lots of desert there with the amount of caravanning they had to do. It wasn't realistic. So they would naturally go north. And they would settle for a time in the city of Haran. Now, this would be modern-day Turkey. We're told in Scripture that Abraham's father passes away. And shortly after that, God says, okay, Abraham, it's time to continue this journey. And so he goes down and he leads Abraham into the city of Canaan, which is modern-day Israel. And you'll see there's kind of a dotted line there for a time. He has to leave because of a famine in the land. He lives in Egypt and he eventually comes back. But it's in this initial journey from Haran down to Canaan that we see documented in the book of Genesis, God begins to show Abraham the land that he is going to give to his descendants. And he stops Abraham in a particular city. And it's this ancient city that I referred to, Shechem. And as we will see, many things happen. And we're, we're going to try to enrich some of this for today and make some connections. But it's here in Shechem that Abraham sets up camp temporarily. He has a conversation with God. And then he makes an altar to memorialize all of these things that he had encountered with God here. And this is where we see all of this documented in Genesis chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. It says, Abram, which this was Abraham's given name. The Lord would later change it to Abraham. Same guy. Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the oak of Morah. And at that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who, he, who had appeared to him. So this was our first mention of this city of Shechem. Now, he doesn't permanently settle here. He would move on. The Lord would continue to show him different regions, kind of giving him the original Holy Land tour of what would later be his descendants' land. But if we fast forward the next generation, we find that Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, so Abraham has a son, his name is Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. And Jacob moves his family back to this city of Shechem. And he buys land there. And this is where they reside. And there's a very unique episode within scripture that you can read about in Genesis chapter 34 that, that kind of tells the story of Jacob's time in this city. Now, because of the conflict that his family has with the locals in that region, he is forced to move away, all right? But then if we fast forward time between about 500 and 600 years, 
after all of that had occurred. Israel is now a nation. But they are in captivity. They are in slavery in Egypt. And this is the story that we all know. Moses uh, rises up as this new prophet, and he goes to Egypt, and he convinces them to release the nation of Israel. They're released. They travel through the desert for many years. God establishes a new covenant with them, the Mosaic Covenant. So on top of the covenant that he had made with Abraham, he now places another covenant, and part of this was the, the Ten Commandments that he gave, as, as well as other laws. And God says to his people that if you obey, if you stay true to me, if you worship only me as your God, I will guarantee my blessings on you for as long as you live. But this was a very conditional covenant. He says, if you don't obey, if you don't follow me, if you go your own ways and serve and worship other gods, then my judgment or my cursings will be on you. And so it was, it was established at that time that this, this was the arrangement between God and his people. Obedience meant blessings. Disobedience meant curses. So that's going to come into play for us in just a few moments. So I wanted to set that context in your mind. So as God is leading Moses and the nation of Israel out of Egypt, he makes this covenant with them. And then he says, Moses, he, he talks to Moses again and tells Moses, when you take this new land, I want you to perform a very specific ritual at a very specific location. Guess where that location would be? The city of Shechem, that is correct. And so Moses gets to the Holy Land, but God does not permit him to enter because of the disobe disobedience of Moses. Part of the punishment was God told him he would be able to see the promised land, but he would never be able to enter into it. And so Moses passes away, and Joshua now becomes the leader of the 12 tribes of Israel. So now we have Joshua leading the nation of Israel, and he goes into the promised land, and he defeats their enemies, and the land is now theirs. But he remembers this instruction that Moses gave to him. And he says, before you go and take over the land, I want you to come back to the city of Shechem. And this is what Joshua does. But before we get into the specifics of what this ritual was and understanding what they did in this city, I want to give some further uh, visual aids to help us understand where it is we're talking about. So this first map is a map of the Old Testament times of what would be uh, Israel. Some of the city names are the same. Some are different. But you'll see, as I highlighted there, what's known as sort of the, the, the northern central region of Israel is the city of Shechem. And if you can see from there, situated right in between two mountains, there's Mount Gezerim and there's Mount Ebel. All right, let's go to the ground view of this. 
So this is a picture that I took. You can actually see the ruins of this ancient city of Shechem there. And you'll see these two mountains. And scripture describes these two mountains and calls them the mountains of blessings and the mountain of curses. This is in Shechem looking north. And you see these two mountains. This is where God tells Moses, which Joshua obeys and brings the nation back to here. And then we'll see what God asks them to do. So here's a, a piece of an article that I found that kind of describes some of what this ritual was. So it says this, In this mysterious ritual, Moses instructs the people that when they finally enter the land, they are to pronounce blessings on Mount Gezerim and curses at the neighboring Mount Ebel. The priests and Levites were to stand in the valley between the two mountains. There were 12 tribes. Six tribes were to stand on the one mountain. The other six remaining tribes to stand on the other. And as the Levites called out a series of blessings and curses, the tribes on the mountains would answer, Amen. Or, we agree. We affirm. After each statement, we are told that Gerizim was fertile and lush with greenery, and Ebel was barren, bleak rock. So the formal reading of the law in this location, with the people's participation, was a renewal of the covenant. I wasn't establishing a new covenant at that time. They were just agreeing to the same terms, a reminder that the forgiveness and blessings required continual obedience. Well, this was a temporary covenant. God would establish the new covenant or the New Testament with all people. And this New Testament was based on Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, taking the place for all sin. So belief in Jesus establishes this new covenant that we get to enjoy, all get to enjoy today. But at this time, this was the layout. This was the agreement. Blessings equal, or obedience equals blessings. Disobedience equals curses. So they go. They return to Shechem, this place of commitment where God showed Abraham reminded Abraham of his covenant. God showed Moses and the Israelites, reminded him of his covenants. And so here's what Joshua says after all of this has been done. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, he says, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, then you will live long in the land the Lord swore to you to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The people remembered the agreement and they would go off at that point and claim 
their respective land. So each tribe would go and take the land that was set aside for them. But it doesn't take long before Joshua begins to see that these tribes are not living in agreement with the covenant. And he's getting all of these different reports of things that are happening, and he's really disappointed. And it gets to the point where he's just kind of fed up with all of this. So he calls the elders of every 12, 12 of the tribes, he calls all the elders back to the city of Shechem. He says, you're all required to be here. I need you here as soon as you can get here. They all come, they all meet, and then Joshua gives a really compelling speech. And you got to think like Braveheart here. Like this isn't a passive, hey guys, let's just agree on some terms. And it, like, no, he is laying down some laws here, and he is drawing a line in the sand. And some of these words are very famous, and a lot of us will probably recognize some of them, but we may not have understood the context for what surrounded all of this. So here's a condensed version from Joshua chapter 24 of what he says to the elders. He says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. That term keeps coming up over and over. Serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. There's the line. Will you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in the lands that you now live? But as for me and my family, we will what? Serve the Lord. Then the people replied, We would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. So we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is God. Joshua says, now you are a witness to your own decision. Joshua recorded these things. He put them in writing in the book of the Lord's, or the book of God's instructions. And then as a reminder of their agreement, he took a huge stone and rolled it beneath the oak tree beside the tabernacle of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, this stone has heard everything the Lord has said. It will be a witness to testify against you if you go back on your word to God. And so we're in this city of Shechem. We're reading this story with the rest of those who are on this trip with me. And there had been this one particular item in this city that we had all noticed. It was clearly significant, but no one really knew what it was. And the tour guide didn't say anything about it. So I'm like, oh, I guess they'll kind of tell us when we need to know. And he gets through all of this reading. And he says, look this way. And I want to show you this picture. He says, see that? That's the stone. He said, archaeologists agree. This is the Joshua stone. That he wrote these things on, had it plastered, and placed in this city as a reminder of their commitment to the Lord. 
And it, this was a really moving experience for me. So I, I got right next to the stone. Like, you can walk right up to these things. So I get right there. That's not graffiti, by the way. They just say that's how things age there. I don't know. So that's natural. And, you know, I stand beside this. And I actually take some time there. And I kneel and I pray. And I pray the words that we had just read from Joshua's speech. And I rededicated my heart to the Lord and, and just said once again, I will choose today to serve you. And as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. It was very moving. I, st I think about this moment quite often still as I reflect on the things that I've seen there. And like, wow, how inspiring was all of this? And we find in Joshua chapter 24, it says, The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him. So everyone who was there for this, those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. Like, yes, like that's the ending we wanted, right? Like, God leads the people out of slavery, and they fall away a little bit, but Joshua rallies them together. He challenges them, and then they respond. And they follow the Lord throughout their lifetime. Like, yes, like, that's good stuff. If the story ended there, <laughs> that would be a great ending. But it doesn't. And the next set of verses that we're going to read together here, to me, are some of the most disappointing and sad verses in scripture. And I think they serve as a, 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 as a warning for us today. So let's look at this. In, jo or in Judges chapter 2, it reads, After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord. Or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal, other gods. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. It's like, wait a minute, what? Like, how did this happen? Like, they just rededicated their lives, they lived for the Lord. But then their kids abandoned it all? Like, how, how do we make sense of something like that happening? And I believe it goes back to the words that we read uh, as our scripture reading moment today. Some things that Moses said needs to happen within the families of the Israelites. And we find these in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Moses says, so commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. When you put them on your doorposts of your houses and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish 
in the land the Lord swore to your ancestors. So we've been in this series over the last several weeks called For Want of a Nail. And we've been talking about things that can oftentimes seem kind of insignificant or less important in our everyday lives, but actually matter a lot more than what we anticipate. And failing to pay attention to these types of things can result in very dramatic and unintended consequences. Just like the nail of a horseshoe. If these nails are not in place, the horseshoe is going to rattle off. Right? The, the horse is no longer going to be able to run properly, and the rider cannot succeed in battle. He can't get to where he needs to be. So what is our horseshoe nail today? What, what is the thing we must never neglect or to overlook? Our ho- horseshoe nail today is teaching the next generation about the Lord. And this is the first blank, if you're kind of filling in notes as we're going along, teaching the next generation about the Lord. It's something we cannot neglect to do as families. I have two questions for us to consider today. The first question is this. Are you committed wholeheartedly to the Lord? Or as Joshua said, choose today whom you will serve. Question number two is this. What are you doing so the next generation remembers the Lord? Wow, this thing just got real challenging real quick. Like, what are you doing for your kids, for your grandkids, for your nieces, your nephews, for if you don't have kids, what about the kids who are in this faith community? Well, what if you don't like kids? Well, what about your peers? What are you doing to influence those around you? You know, the first question is pretty straightforward, you know. Draw the line in the sand. Choose today whom you will serve. Is it going to be God or is it going to be self? That's what it boils down to. You're either going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve yourself. The second question, though, boy, man, there is a lot to unpack in this, more than we could ever do uh, in one morning here. But how do we actively participate in the handing down of godly values to the next generation? what the family was designed to do. So I have a few thoughts for us to consider. And some of this, I will prep us. It's really challenging. It's not easy stuff, but it's things that we need to talk about. Uh, So thought number one is this. Consistently prioritize things of eternal value. Like, this is hard. I, I understand I've got three kids. I work a full-time job. My wife works a full-time job. All of that takes a piece of the pie. You put sports on top of that. You put academics on top of that. It all takes a piece of the pie. But what about reserving some of our time for the things that matter eternally? Things that matter spiritually for our families. Like, this isn't a new tension. Like, this isn't new. This was happening in ancient times. The, the, the normality of culture draws us in. It just does. We become a part of our surroundings. 
cultural norms compel us to participate. And we're told we're bad parents if we don't give our kids the proper experiences that they deserve. Like they have to have every perfect opportunity and experience. And if they don't, we have failed them in some way. They weren't in the perfect school. They weren't in the perfect college. They didn't get to play every single potential sport or play every instrument and be a part of every academic exercise there is. And we begin to feel like failures. And it's just not true. Nobody can do all of those things. It's not possible. But somehow we try and we edge out the things that matter. Do we actually take time to, to, to think about, is what we're prioritizing actually benefiting our families and ourselves as much as we think they are? Because cultural norms, they're, they're generally not working. Anxiety has never been higher in this next generation. It's weighing down the hearts and the tender minds of our children and grandchildren. It's not working. A lot of the things we're choosing to prioritize have little to no eternal and spiritual value for our families. And we are called not to conform to the norms of culture. We're called to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And how do we find peace? It's through fixing our minds on things like love, things like peace, things that are good, that are lovely, that are righteous and pleasing to the Lord. And how do we do that? It requires time and space. Intentionality, prioritization. Or we're just going to remain unsettled in our spirits. Our kids are just going to become unsettled in their spirits. Anxiety as we tirelessly run from activity to activity. Trying to give everybody the experiences that are expected of us to give to them. But we must choose to say no to some things so that we can consistently prioritize the things of eternal and spiritual value. That's thought number one. Thought number two. Remove the temptations that draw you away from the Lord. Start removing stuff. We've got to get it out of our lives. We talked about this a few weeks ago in our connection group that uh, my wife and I uh, lead. 